0: The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. This uh, U.S. senator was tragically hit by a car and killed, and he found himself uh, up in heaven standing before Peter. And uh, Peter said, well, you know, with most people we pretty much tell them where they're going to go but uh, you know people of your stature we do give them the option so we're going to let you spend uh, one full day in hell to see what that's like and and then one full day in heaven and then you get to decide which one you want to spend all of eternity in and she said well I you know I pretty much already know I'd, I'd rather be in heaven and and he said, "No, sorry, uh, that's just the way it works. You 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 don't get to choose. You have to spend one full day and and check it out." So he says, "Okay." And so they get on the elevator and they go down, 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 down to to hell. And uh, the doors open and and there's this beautiful green uh, golf course. And uh, all of his friends come running up to him. All these guys that he had known before, before they died, and then all of his polit- politician friends and lobbyists, and they were all there, and then just shaking his hand and smiling, and it was just really fantastic, and they, they played a great round of golf together, and, and the devil was there, and he was actually really pleasant and nice, and uh, everybody you know dressed well, and he just really had a great time. And uh, before he knew it, twenty-four hours was up, and so Peter said, "Okay, we got to go up to heaven now." And and so on the elevator up, he was just talking about how what a great time he had, and he really caught up on some friends, and found out what happened to him, and uh, so he gets up to heaven, and and he spends the next twenty-four hours on these clouds, just kind of bouncing from cloud to cloud, and and listening to this really nice uh, soft music, and people that he'd never met before that he didn't know, but was you know, it was pleasant and enjoyable. And after 24 hours, um, Peter comes to him and says, Well, so what do you think? And he says, Well, you know, I, I would, have, would have never said this before, but, you know, I, I think I would actually enjoy hell a little bit better, and, and so I, I, I'll make that my choice. He said, Okay, fine. So they get back on the elevator, and they start going down, 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 down. Elevator doors open up, and it's a terrible wasteland. I mean, the wind is blowing and dirt flying everywhere. It's dark. It's horrible. Flames and fire, and all of his friends are in torment and anger and uh, chains and garbage everywhere. And the devil barks at him, Hey, get over here. And he's just stunned, and he just looks at the devil and he says, What happened? I, I was here yesterday, and and this was totally, totally different. And the devil looked at him. He said, well, yesterday we were campaigning the day you voted. The myth we want to tackle today is that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Now, that's a great question. And the problem is it's not true. From a biblical point of view, it simply isn't true. that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And perhaps a better question to ask to illustrate that truth is why did Jesus die on the cross? In fact, it's probably the number one question that I've received from people over the years that they want to know is why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did he have to die on the cross? And the answer to that question is I think, reveals this whole myth for what it is about why good people don't go to heaven and bad people don't go to hell. The primary symbol of Christianity is the cross, of course. and We've all seen uh, pictures of the cross. We've put them on trees. It's the central symbol of Christianity. And for us, those who are on the inside, the, the cross is really good news. It's a story of good news. But increasingly, people inside of our Northwest culture find it to be bad news. This whole concept of a vengeful God who is up there and he's so angry that he demands there be human sacrifice to appease his anger. I mean, it sounds a whole lot like uh, terrorists and uh, having to kill people to get into heaven and have all these virgins in this great place. So they got to blow up women and children to appease their angry God. And so people think, well, this, you know, it sounds like a primitive God who's punitive and he's, he's out to judge people. And it just doesn't make sense. If you say that God is a God of love, then how is it that he condemns people who don't follow the rules and you know, he sends them to hell forever? How can you say that he's a good God? How can he be appeased by Human sacrifice. And here's something going on behind me. Um, so, I mean, you never know. With our staff, I mean, it, the jokes could be being played on me, and you just don't know. Um, so, let me give you some reasons. Here are some reasons why Jesus had to die, and it directly speaks to this issue. The reason number one is this real forgiveness is costly suffering. Now think of it like this. Let's say that uh, at your home, Pierce County came to you and they said, uh, you've got an erosion problem with your property. You need to build a wall to keep this soil back. And uh, the wall costs you $2,000. You build the wall and then somebody comes over to your house and accidentally runs their car right through your wall. Smashes your wall, ruins your whole thing, costs you two grand. You gotta have a retaining wall. Somebody's got to pay for it, right? That's always the first question that enters your mind. Who's going to pay for this? We have a couple options here. First option is the guy who rammed into the wall. He has to pay, right? He has to fork over two grand, pay for the wall. Second option is he doesn't have to pay for the wall. You have to pay for the wall. So, In other words, rather than forcing him to pay, you uh, don't allow him to pay. And maybe there's a third option in there, something like a combination of the two. Uh, You pay a little bit, he pays a little bit. But in every single one of those options, there's one thing that's consistent. Somebody has to pay. Somebody has to pay. A debt has been created. And sometimes the debts that are created in life for us are not necessarily monetary. Maybe somebody uh, destroy, ruins your joy, steals your joy away from you. Or somebody uh, lies about you and ruins an opportunity that you had or advancement at work, or uh, you get some, some, experience some sort of betrayal or opportunities stolen or a reputation stolen from you. It isn't always a dollar figure that you can put on that thing. And have you noticed that debts that are created like that They don't just evaporate into thin air. They don't just go away. They're still there. The $2,000, that's easy to count, right? You smashed my wall, two grand pay up. But how do you account for a broken heart or a betrayal of a friendship or of trust? Those things aren't as easy to calculate and they don't just go away they don't just evaporate in fact the greater the offense the more difficult it is to deal with it and we know for a fact it definitely doesn't just go away i mean how about if somebody stole from you ten thousand dollars well two grand is one thing but $10,000, oh, well, that's going to get your attention, and that just doesn't go away. Or how about somebody murders your son or daughter, or injures them, or hurts them, or rapes your, a family member of yours. Those things just don't go away. In fact, people, family members, who do go to court, and somebody is convicted of a crime, and they go to prison. And you ask the family members afterwards, well, do you feel like you got justice? Now, sometimes they'll say yes. A lot of times they'll say no. And they'll say, yeah, he's going to sit in jail. But at least he still has his family. I'll never have my daughter again. And so often they will continue to suffer for the rest of their lives because it doesn't just go away. The debt remains there and you want that person to pay. Now, there are two options again, right? To make them pay or to not allow them to pay. We love option one, don't we? I mean... Sometimes we just love the, the 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 idea of that payback feeling. In fact, there's a movie made with Mel Gibson about the whole concept of payback because we it feels good. It feels good. If somebody lies about you or hurts your reputation, and you go to them and you just rip them and you let them have it, man, that, doesn't that kind of feel good? You know, I feel like you. I want to make this person pay. I'm gonna. I'm going Drill this person into the ground And make them pay for what they did for me But what happens when you get your payback In whatever form you choose to use it But then the receiving end Don't think it was equal or fair Oh sure yeah I did something wrong And you got me back But you got me back a little too much So now I have to get you back a second time. Or how about the family members? So you get some payback, but then the family members of that person hear about it, and they say it wasn't fair. And they want payback on you. And the cycle just continues and continues and continues. And what happens with revenge is that the debt is not paid. In fact, what happens is it spreads and it gets worse. There's another problem with taking care of this debt yourself, and that is that you could be in danger of developing a deep and lasting prejudice. It works like this. So say uh, 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 the person that hurt you and offended you was a very wealthy person. And so then you conclude, well, all rich people abuse poor people. Rich people hate Uh, uh, people of less status in them, they take advantage of them, and you develop this hatred for all rich people. Or maybe it was a pastor or a person of authority that hurt and offended you, and then you come to the conclusion that all pastors are like that and churches are bad. Or or it was um, a person of the opposite sex. And maybe it was two or three different men that have wounded you and hurt you and abused you, and so now all men... Are like that, and not to be trusted. Or maybe it was a person of a certain race, and uh, you crime was committed or offense was happened between you and them, and you know they took your promotion away from you and took your job and your opportunity, and it's just because of their race, and so you develop this prejudice and this hatred for a particular race of people because of what's happened to you. These are all serious problems that can develop when you go down the road of option one, of making things right and getting the justice that you deserve. Option two is to forgive them. Now, that's not so easy. If somebody offends me in a you know a simple way, like last service, when they say to me sermon was boring, okay, so that hurts a little bit, (laughs) Uh, but that's all right. I can get over that, you know. Um, They hand me an egg, and what's this egg for? Well, that's the egg you laid on the altar this morning. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, Especially when it's your family. But you can get over that, right? Well, what about the ones that really sting really bad? The ones that really cut deep? Betrayal by a close friend or spouse. Those things are not so easy to forgive. In fact, it's like this. The greater the offense the greater the pain inflicted to forgive. If somebody murders your son or daughter, forgiving them is a very difficult and painful process. And people who attempt to do it describe it as a suffering or a death because that person goes on and they keep their reputation, but you've lost yours. They keep what they had, but you lost what you've had. And that thing inside of you says, this isn't fair. This isn't right. That I should have to absorb this person's debt. I was talking with a young woman one time and she was telling me about how evil her father was towards her and all the things that he did to her and hurt her. And and she was just seething with his anger and resentment and bitterness towards him. And I said, listen, as long as you hold on to that hurt that you have with your father, he continues to abuse you. Only until you can forgive him will you set yourself free from him. And so she did not like hearing that. But she chose to walk through that process of forgiveness and forgiving her father. And I saw her go through that and She experienced a a, a sort of a personal resurrection as a result of that and, and being free from her father and the injuries there. But she will tell you, if you ask her, she'll tell you that it was the most painful process she ever went through. There was literal suffering to bear the burdens of her father's debts. But forgiveness is the only way it is the only way to stop the spread of evil revenge and retribution it just continues the cycle and it's never even it's never equal forgiveness stops that cycle and erases it now One of the first objections that people have when they hear something like this is, wait a minute, shouldn't people be held responsible for the things they do? And the answer is, yes, they should. But only when they are forgiven. Because forgiveness changes the motivation. If somebody is going to be confronted on what they've done wrong without any involvement of forgiveness then that person is going to be re- confronted in revenge. They're going to be confronted in a way to hurt them, to punish them. If forgiveness then is, happens and that process starts, then when that person is confronted, it's not to destroy them. It's not to punish them. Confronting them is to build them up. It's for their good. It's to bring them into a place of greater enlightenment and understanding about their life and the people around them and how they're affecting people around them. With vengeance, the evil spreads. With forgiveness, it stops. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a very famous pastor who lived during World War II in Germany. German pastor or theologian. And uh, he was very outspoken against Adolf Hitler. And so he was uh, arrested and sent to Fossenberg uh, concentration camp. He was tortured there and eventually killed before the end of World War II. And here's somebody who definitely had an opportunity to live this concept. And this is what he said about forgiveness and the cross of Jesus Christ. He said this, and I quote, True forgiveness is always a form of suffering. People say, why did Jesus have to die? Couldn't God just forgive everyone? I mean, God tells us that we should forgive people, so why doesn't He just forgive people? Why did Jesus suffer and die? Well, you know the answer now. Because forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is a form of suffering. On the cross, Jesus paid the debt that we owed. And in doing so, that debt of forgiveness was in the form of a great deal of suffering and pain. The second reason that Jesus had to die, and this, again, points back to good people going to heaven and bad people going to hell, and why that is the wrong question to begin with. Here's this reason. Real love is a personal exchange. It's impossible to have real love with somebody else without walking in their shoes at some point. At some point in this intimate relationship of love, you are going to experience their faults and failures. They're going to be come upon you. You're gonna you're gonna have to deal with it. Either you can reject it, or you can walk with them through their faults and failures. And that's what that's the beauty of love is that somebody knows all the garbage about you and still chooses to be associated with you. That's the beauty of love. Is that they know your all your faults and failures, and they still choose you. That's real love. That's unconditional love. Is that they know all the bad things about me and still want to hang with me? I think of it in terms of a secret agent. You know, so you see, you see, uh, you, you're you're going about your day and everything's going fine and you're safe and secure and all is good, and then you run into this person, he says, hey, I'm 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 a secret agent, I work for the government, and these uh, bad people are chasing me and they are trying to kill me. I really need your help. I need your car. Can you drive me to this location? It'll save my life. It's for the government, it's for the good of the country. You know, will you do it? At that moment, you really have a choice to make, right? Because if you open the door and let this guy in, then those bad people are not just chasing him, they're chasing you. And there goes all of your safety and all of your security and your wonderful little day that you are having. Now your life is threatened. And that's the stuff that movies are made of. Here's another one about parenting. The minute you have a child, the first thing that you lose is, besides your sleep, is your freedom. It just poof, there goes your freedom. When before, you could do whatever you wanted, whenever you want. Now, guess what? You're staying home. All your friends are going out having fun. You're at home. And if you take that baby with you, oh, how much fun that is. You just, you try it. You'll see. You'll be the first couple leaving the party. You see, a child comes into the world helpless and weak and frail. And to love that child, you have to surrender your freedoms. You have to surrender what you want and what you want to do. I want to sleep. The child demands that I not. You know? And so you have to sacrifice so that child can have a better life. And some parents don't want to do it. So they either uh, hire somebody else to do it, or they just... They give that child food, clothing, shelter, but basically ignore them. And then that child grows up and despises their parents, hates them, and is, is not normal and adjusted for life because they didn't get that love and care that they needed. Because that parent made a choice. Their own freedom or the child's freedom. You sacrifice yourself, the child is free and grows up, has a great life. You sacrifice the child, you grew up free, have a great life, that child suffers. John Stott, famous pastor, preacher, and theologian, he said this about the great exchange. He said, the essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. We put ourselves where only God deserves to be. God put himself where only we deserve to be. I can't imagine how anybody could serve a God without the cross. I mean, how can you trust a God that is immune to suffering? That suffering doesn't affect him. He doesn't know what it is. He's never tasted suffering. How can you trust that that kind of a God could care for you and love you and know what you go through? In the real world of of pain and suffering, the cross of Jesus Christ is a very loud voice that says, I care. I love you. I know what it means for you to suffer and go through what you're going through because I've been there. On the cross, Jesus Christ takes our whole culture, the culture of the Northwest and the culture of America, and completely turns it upside down. As He won through losing, He got victory through defeat. He gained all the wealth in the world by giving it all away. He received power through great weakness. So Christ and the cross takes our culture and turns it upside down. And when you've been transformed by the power of the cross, and you've been experienced that new resurrection of your own life, then you see it's a completely different kingdom now. It's the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, money is now something that you give away, and power is something that you use to better other people's lives, and and uh, fame and reputation is for building up the kingdom of God, and it's it's a reversal of values. Tell you a story, and then I'll I'll finish about two young boys growing up in the inner city, and and uh, they looked exactly alike. But they weren't brothers. And so it was a thing that a lot of people talked about. They are always compared as brothers. And they always say, no, we're not brothers. But as they grew up and became into those teenage years, they sort of split ways. And one went into a life of crime. And the other went into the priesthood and became a Jesuit priest. And they sort of lost track of each other over the years. But the irony is they never left the neighborhood. So one was abusing the people of the neighborhood and taking from them and, and inflicting harm on them. And the other one was reaching out in love and trying to be good to the community and trying to help the neighborhood. And over time, the crime caught up with the one boy. And he was convicted of murder and sentenced to the death-to-death penalty to the electric chair. He was there, and he, just moments before the execution, the, uh, the priest was summoned to come to the prison and do last rites for this, this uh, prisoner. And when he heard who it was and remembered that it was his friend growing up, the whole way there, he was thinking to himself, how can I reach these boys in this community who are just enamored with this life that this criminal has lived. And they look up to the criminal and they respect him and they want to be like him. How can I reach them with a different message? He's thought about this the whole way there. He gets there. He walks into the room and the criminal recognizes the priest as his boyhood friend. Instantly there's a connection they embrace. And the priest says, I have a proposal for you. I would like to be able to reach these inner city kids, but I'm not able to do it. They're not listening to me. They they respect you. They look up to you. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to take your place. We can exchange clothes. Nobody will ever know. The guards won't know. And I will die on the electric chair, and you can wear my clothes and go free. And the criminal thought, well, this is a great idea. I, was, I mean, you're you're crazy. You're stupid. You know that's your pro- problem. But yeah, I'll do it. So they change clothes, and uh, he is able to walk out of the prison free man. Well, he's free, and he thought, "Wow, I'm going to go back to my life of crime." And so he goes right back to his old buddies in crime and forgets about what happened. A few days later, he's reading the newspaper, and he sees a story about the execution of his friend. And he reads in the story that something went wrong with the equipment. And there was a malfunction, and it caused a tremendous amount of suffering. And so there's a huge political rally and an uproar against uh, right to life and all of that because this priest suffered terribly during the execution, although people thought it was the criminal. And reading the story, it just sort of hit his soul hard that that could have been him. And it wasn't. He thought about the life and the opportunity that he has, a second chance. And his hard, hard heart began to melt. He got down on his knees and he cried out to God and said, God, I am unworthy to follow you or to know you, but I would like to try and live up to what my best friend has done for me. So he put the clothes back on of the priest and went to the church and took his place and now began to reach out to the kids in the community. But this time, because he knew the language, because he'd been there, he'd lived it, he knew it all, he had tremendous success in reaching the community with the love of Jesus Christ. You know, that's a great story. But the gospel is not fiction. The gospel is a story about God who saw that debts needed to be paid. Bad things happened within the community of mankind. And man couldn't pay the debt. No matter what he did, man would try to find retribution back and forth, but it just spread. It got worse and worse and worse. And so rather than demand that man pay for his debts, God came in the form of Jesus Christ, a perfect, sinless man, and gave his own life to pay for the forgiveness of you and I. So the big question today is, what are you going to do with this mercy that you Have received it. And maybe you haven't received it, but it's being offered to you. What are you going to do with it? A hundred years from now, you will care less about who's going to be president. You will not be worried about the economy. You won't care about how your body looks. You won't care about your reputation. You won't care who wins American Idol. All you are going to care about is what we're talking about right now. This is the big one is what are you going to do with this great mercy that is being offered to you? Are you going to accept it or cast it aside? I don't know what opportunities you'll have today or tomorrow or what's coming. And maybe today is the one opportunity you get. I don't know. But I encourage you this morning... Don't let your heart be hard. Let that mercy melt your heart and your soul and respond to God today and tell him that you want to walk in that forgiveness that he's offered to you. In Romans chapter 10, there's a beautiful poetic scripture that Paul writes about this. And he says that all you have to do is confess your sins to God. Just tell him where you're at and what you've done. Ask him to forgive you. And he will. He will. And by your confession and by your faith speaking out of your mouth, you will receive that forgiveness today. So I encourage you this morning to respond and and, Maybe you're an insider already, and so you know about these things, and you know about forgiveness, and you know about the cross. Is there somebody that you can think of today that owes you a debt? A <laughs> uh, number of years ago, this pastor in, in community up north, not down here, really burned me. And I was so ticked off. I mean, I was furious. I was mad. And the the Parks Department was doing a a campaign at that time where you could um, pay for a park bench, and then they would put a plaque on it for you And uh, because they wanted benches but didn't want to pay for it. And so I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll take all my savings, and I'll buy up all the park benches, and I'll put on the plaque what a dirty, rotten loser this pastor is And then the whole community, whenever they go to the park, they'll see what a loser he is and won't go to his church. And I was really excited. I thought that was a really good idea. That maybe you can think of a person's name, family member, somebody that owes you. But you've received the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus. Jesus. And maybe what you need to do today is you need to, like your Creator, as you were created to be, walk in that same forgiveness that He's granted you, that you would grant to them. Oh, yes, it will be painful. Yes, it always is. But it, it's also the only way to stop the spread of evil.